What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. James Slazis is the founder of Dharma Capital. In this conversation, we discuss his decision to use quant strategies in crypto, how important institutional infrastructure is, what he is doing with the Open Law Initiative, and how crypto is related to the 2008 financial crisis. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I am here with James. Uh, we got a ton to uh, to get through, so uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming and doing this. Hey, Pop. Um, that, that's the that's the most happy anyone's ever greeted me on this uh, on this podcast. Just hey, Pop. Um, all right, man. Uh, you've done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I'm not even going to try to summarize it. So, just what's your background? How did uh, you get here in this seat? How did I get here in this seat? Um, Other than I told you to come. Exactly. I uh, so. Well, since I'm one of the, uh, the the old characters in the in the blockchain space, so I have been in the derivative market since the mid '80s. I uh, grew up on the Merck and in the Paris uh, Futures Exchanges. Ran a derivative arbitrage book at Lehman Brothers, which it wasn't my fault. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then from there. Um, uh, a very close relationship, Andrew Keys of mine, uh, basically said, "Hey, you have to start looking at this this blockchain space, specifically in, in uh, Ethereum." So I'd, I'd only played around a little bit in uh, in, in uh, Bitcoin, and um, as Joe Lubin was putting together consensus, he was looking for obviously you have to have derivatives, have to have capital markets, need mm-hmm. to be able to trade trade something that. Um, you know, all these tokens that uh, get built up for liquidity. So um, we spoke about it. You know, it, it, you can just imagine sitting uh, across the table and saying, well, we want to recreate the Internet mm-hmm. and we're going to do it in this this way. And I was like, that sounds fantastic, but also sounds kind of a crazy, a crazy, crazy, play, uh, you know, pipe dream. Love you, Joe, but sounds crazy. Yeah. You, um, you, you did a great job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, pretty, pretty much worked. Yeah, and, and so di- started to dive in a lot. Uh, and and as I I went to Toronto, met with Vitalik, Joe, a few others, and and really it was that that light bulb that kind of just went off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was probably May June of uh, 2015, basically right after early that. Early days. Er, early days, and I would say had a call with Joe said. Let's do this, and I booked a flight the next day to leave uh, sunny California and move to uh, uh, crazy Brooklyn. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Everyone in Manhattan feels like you made a bad decision. <laughs> exactly. Everyone in Brooklyn thinks you're a genius. Um, all right, so uh, you get to consensus. There's what, like 20 people probably? Yep. Um, I, get to con- I get to consensus. 20 people. Um, I'm now three months into blockchain. Okay. I'm asked to write the business plan for consensus and and so i basically just (laughs) (laughs) 
Is that is that out of necessity, <laughs> or is that because uh, they thought that you actually knew what you were doing? Exactly. I, you know, probably. I think I, I think I might have uh, tricked him on that one. I can imagine them looking around the room, and be like, "Well, I'm not going to do that." Exactly. Uh, you, you know, business. Okay. Exactly. You know, so basically, it became very heavily weighted into well, let's put together some uh, arbitrage opportunities, and and then oh, all of you techies can go build. You know, fantastic. Uh, I don't know protocol layer stuff, and I and and, and essentially I, I probably for at least a year or more was just yeah build protocol stuff and not mm-hmm. not really going from that side of it. Got it. Uh, and so while you're there, obviously the thing explodes. The thing being both consensus and ether. Uh, right. What's going through your head when? Things are just going gangbusters. I mean, from thirty cents to fourteen hundred dollars, from twenty employees to I think over a thousand at yeah, one point for consensus. Um, what like just are you just like this is a fantasy world, or are you like man, we're not going fast enough? <laughs> What's like the the logic there? Hey, you know, it was it was interesting. I after you basically get that aha moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, the the sky is a limit when you start to think of it as, well, if I own shares in the internet, what would that be worth, right? Mm-hmm. And if there was this adoption, and you know, and so I couldn't validate it from a tech perspective, but I could also look at this as, okay, from a macro view, this is a really interesting, obviously a really interesting trade. Um, I, I would say even, you know, beyond looking at just the the price hype, um, and 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 that part I'm love to you know kind of chat about it i i really think that it was interesting to see 2015 16 every firm out there so any wall street firm regulators all the you know global consultants things like that they were all basically saying how do i spell blockchain yep you know we had we had a we had a great group 20 people from uh one of the big four came in uh flew in from london and essentially they asked what you know, could you show me a blockchain? You know, and, and it was almost like, which color do you want? You know, red or blue? And um, and they're gonna so put now, it in their, They're gonna put the blockchain in their pocket and leave with it, right? Exactly. And bring it back to show their boss. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, so now we've progressed where um, put together a lot of different things to say here. This is the explanation. This is what it can be. And mm-hmm. it was this, you know, art of the possible, or just creating as many proof of concepts as possible to say, this is what can be done. Mm-hmm. We're not going to build it all. We can build the prototypes, but we need other teams to come in and build on top of the protocol. Right. But we're going to show you visually what could happen. Yeah, showing visually. And then the other part, though, that I think that the hype side of this got, you know, they, people got mistaken is they thought the tech was done. Mm-hmm. So when you have something that is this widespread, this excited, people are looking at this going like, okay, it must be able to scale to internet. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, and hence you had, you know, the, the first, you know, uh, I guess, gut check of that was, you know, crypto kitties. And and so the way that I keep getting asked of like, oh, OK, well, where are we going to go and what are, what are we doing you know, in this marketplace? Um, my view is essentially that we have to get to scalability. Mm-hmm. So we have to have a global scalability before really it even matters. So all of that, you know protocol stuff as I would reference it is is essentially if we don't get there then it doesn't matter if we have adoption and if we have all of these pretty you know proof of concepts and all different types of ideas 
It's more of if we get that, well, now we can then take the steps to say, here are other applications that can be built upon this protocol. So I, I think it's a it's a really key it's a key thing, and it's it's key what we do at our fund of of looking at that. Right, mm-hmm. we're getting the opportunity to validate where are we to to get into that scalability. Got it. Then then you track how much adoption occurs, right? And that and that's and then drives the price. So now you are um, working on Dharma Capital. Yeah. So I what, left. What is that? Yeah. So I left Consensus last spring. And, uh, 2018. 2018. And I, um, and, and basically within... We, we don't actually count years here. Let's just count bear bull market. Okay. <laughs> exactly. so, so you left spring, spring bull, uh, bear market. Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, and, well, and, and at Consensus, so um, uh, co-founded Consensus Capital. And mm-hmm. essentially that was uh, VC. I would reference it as investment banking and asset management. Mm-hmm. So the, the asset management side of it, what I did was um, allocated some um, some ether to my brother, who's had a thirty-year quant trading service, uh, going over all different types of futures products, stuff like that, and and really defining out all of the different parts of risk. I mean, there's trading risk, obviously, with volatility, but then there's just specific digital asset risk, call it custodial, regulatory, and mm-hmm. a lot of different parts. So, kept building that up. And when you have a thousand, thirteen hundred, you know, computer uh, computer kids, uh, geniuses, you know, yeah, geni- uh, genius kids, really difficult to be able to also stay in compliant and regulatory considerations if you wanted to be a a true fund. Um, and so, so I left last spring, started Dharma Capital, and Dharma is basically a solution where. If an institution wants to be involved in this space, this is the type of vehicle that they see day in and day out. Right? Mm-hmm. We use all the same type of service partners that any fund would have. You know, KPMG's audit, Opus is fund admin, uh, Duff and Phelps uh, keeps us in line on all of our compliance and regulatory. It, it's there's all adults of in those the same things. There's adults in the room adults in terms in room. of n- not as a negative connotation to those who don't use those service providers, but the institutional investors, if they were to put you through a, you know, operational due diligence or, or some sort of, um, you know, kind of deep check, you would pass that diligence because of the service providers you're using. Right. And in all of our, I mean, basically, you know, I have 30 plus years, our CIO has 40 plus years. Uh, so we, we get risk management and trading. Um, we also very much get blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have very small, uh, strong ties to consensus. So we do, we leverage off of their um, Alethio um, balance and, and several of their different projects where we track what goes on in the blockchain, mm-hmm. right? So just imagine, um, I've had different over-the-counter uh, counterparties where they couldn't, they don't know what a smart contract is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I track their wallet and all of their associated wallets. Mm-hmm. Are they a seller? Are they a buyer in the marketplace? Right. Mm-hmm. Those are obviously kind of just simple things that we can implement. Mm-hmm. But it's it's part of well. Here's our an additional edge. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, obviously, also we look at it from like uh, I know the risk in, a, in an exchange. Mm-hmm. So if you have a certain amount of traditional in and out flows of an exchange, and now you see, you know. Twitterverse blowing up, as well as a lot of funds that are starting to, you know, be larger outflows. 
okay, you're not going to keep your assets on the exchange there. Yep, makes sense. What, what strategy are you guys using uh, on the quantitative side? So it, it, it's it's really, well, I would just call it that we break up the market in risk cohorts. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I guess I should step back a second. Um, so Dharma, the way that we're approaching the market is not to say here we're going to invest in a lot of different coins or we're going to have a, um, uh, a portfolio mix, mm-hmm. we're going to externally do a portfolio mix. And, and what I mean by that is um, after we've fundamentally said this uh, asset is, you know, meets our fundamental analysis, then we look at it from a liquidity standpoint because it mm-hmm. needs to have, I need to be able to trade at least $25 million in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also have to have regular regulatory clarity mm-hmm. right if I have a, a regulator that says okay now that's a security or something like that and I'm you know the, the asset goes down to zero instantly yep so so we what we do is we, we call these Dharma optimized long and then ether mm-hmm. Bitcoin launches at the end of July we'll mm-hmm. have you know additional ones and and essentially what we're building is you have all of these actively managed singular assets mm-hmm. and then we can combine them together if you um, so that you can have a representation of a blockchain investment mm-hmm. right so if I'm an institution I want to be involved in in uh, blockchain space well now I can say I know I have to have these specific assets to represent the market mm-hmm. uh, we don't necessarily say we're picking the winner but we're picking what is right now that you know part of that you know fundamental core holding that Mm -hmm. you should have and really the whole idea here is if i'm a bitcoin holder or ethereum holder uh or ether um the goal is to get me more bitcoin or more ether right right well uh two parts so so as i was referencing that global scalability Mm -hmm. so call that two three four years of Mm -hmm. build right Mm -hmm. so we should have a lot of volatility and I know you know the market's been picking up lately, and we may get another spike. And I would I would still reference that as a hype spike. Mm-hmm. And and the reason for that is global scalability isn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So if it's not there, then really just jamming up the market is it's premature, mm-hmm. right? We haven't been validated. Mm-hmm. So as if I was an institution, I would say I need to be validated for global scale before I do that, right? Um, so. So for so as we, we look at that though we, we take each of those those doles you know couple those together call that that you know an index and, and to your point of um, you know how is our trading strategy the trading strategy just looks at what's the risk parameters and risk states of each of those singular assets mm-hmm. and we trade from that mm-hmm. right? um, we use buy when it's low risk, high probability of return. Sell yeah. when it's you can almost, you almost talk high about risk. It, look at it as like uh, playing poker, mm-hmm. right? Where where's my risk reward? What's mm-hmm. my you know my pot odds or or so mm-hmm. right? So we're risking you know one dollar to make nine ten dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it's more of as you're in a certain types of risk states, there's certain types of trades that you're going to put mm-hmm. on or not, mm-hmm. right? And so. It's constantly managing that side of it from a, 
you know, just a, a trading risk management perspective. How much of the infrastructure is in place for you to be able to do this stuff, right? In terms of you have to build it internally and it's proprietary stuff versus you're able to leverage existing infrastructure and you found it to be kind of professional, mature, and, and what you would expect in, in a um, kind of sophisticated trading operation. Right. Um, well, one, one part I would say is specific fund infrastructure and then the marketplace, okay. right? Fund infrastructure, you know, there's, we're not trying, what, what, we're, what we've done is we've created an institutional product that trades digital assets, mm-hmm. right? So all of those big boy, um, you know, service providers are already there. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that one that I would say when we look at it from the market side is is maybe custodial, mm-hmm. but from a running a fund, obviously you have all that fund admin, and, and we've chosen to go the route of we're a registered with the CFTC NFA member, uh, we're a commodity pool operator, commodity trading advisor, and, and essentially that just means that we're able to trade derivatives and and trade you know trade the assets that we that we choose. From a market infrastructure standpoint, that's the part where it's it's a really interesting. We have an interesting window. Mm-hmm. The way I look at it is, we're putting in place all of the infrastructure. So we're, uh, you know, what I would say is you have audit now. We we had to do a lot of explanation to our our auditor <laughs> of how does this you know how does this work, um, calculating a nav, extremely different. Um, what we what we chose to do from a NAV perspective is we said, here we know you as an institution care about two and twenty, something that you've seen day mm-hmm. in day out. We also look at that and say, if you have this, you know, basically parabolic type of asset that goes just straight up, mm-hmm. it's egregious for us to say we're going to take twenty points, mm-hmm. right? So you know if you were you know, hoodling and, and just going, why am I going to give somebody 20 points to just hold an asset for mm-hmm. me? So we came up with a really interesting way to say, for these next four years, as scalability gets built, there's a lot of volatility. And after scalability gets built, there's going to be a, a much, I would say, larger capital inflow into the market. So during that time, you really are in a, an accumulation state, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to get as many... Not looking at it as a, I'm a dollar-based investor, but I'm a digital asset owner, right? So, so what we did was our our, our fee structure is um, two five fifty, and it, it so a management fee, five points of that appreciation, um, on whatever the asset that we're holding, and then it's it's alpha. So mm-hmm. we split in in whatever alpha we create. So it's it's more of, we want to we we put forth ourselves in saying here. We're going to eat what we kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since May 2017, we've been we've produced 160 percent alpha. So mm-hmm. we're, I believe, we're doing our job really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that I think is much more in alignment with our initial LPs, which are early investors, um, ICO Treasury. Uh, our one of our first uh, LPs is Consensus. Uh, so all of those types of groups are really looking at this as I already believe in blockchain. I get that there's this scalability that we have to meet. So I want to accumulate as much as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, pre what I would say would be, you know, call it phase two post post uh, scalability. 
now you have very large institutions. You have the, the different houses making markets in this. Um, you have a very robust derivative market, things, mm-hmm. things of that nature. You're also uh, involved in not just trading, right? Obviously, the time at Consensus, I think you got exposed to a whole host of different things. Um, one of the other things that you're uh, knowledgeable on and, and interested in is this open law initiative. Um, maybe talk a little bit about what that uh, what that is and kind of why you think that's important. Sure. Uh, well, so um, Aaron, Aaron Wright uh, at, at Consensus, I mean, one of the, I don't know, call it even founding characters at consensus and and really you know in characters that's a great way <laughs> exactly I'm, I'm sitting here with you i've got andrew keys in the room as well who just finished recording and i got two characters exactly that, that's what i'm going to describe today as i hung out with some characters all right go ahead absolutely um in in so his initiative is looking at codifying just legalese mm-hmm. right being able to ha- grab this phrase this phrase build that contract and also then be able to have Oracles go into go and, and feed into that. Smart contracts react to those agreements. Mm-hmm. All of this falls right into place with um, with swaps, mm-hmm. right? So um, I think both of us have have looked at you know what is the DTC doing? Um, Consensus worked on a, a really interesting project uh, around that. Um, I created a a total return swap, which which basically took. A lot of those parameters of collateral management and pseudonymous type of uh, of trading, mm-hmm. uh, and so what Open Law is looking to do is to say, great, if we can have a big impact within the over-the-counter derivative market, which one has a huge need from a risk standpoint, so mm-hmm. regulators and, and really any institution to understand what's that risk, mm-hmm. right? Um, Giancarlo yesterday uh, uh, basically said. Uh, you know, if we had blockchain and we could have had this risk, then, uh, you know, the 28, uh, 2008, you know, crisis would have been at least more of a proactive uh, versus a completely reactive. Yeah, so, so let's talk about this for a second, right? Because what he's essentially saying is blockchain wouldn't have prevented it, in his opinion. He could be right or wrong. Uh, the 2008 financial crisis, but the response would have been better informed, faster, and potentially more effective if we had a blockchain. Yeah. I'm assuming you agree, but... Again, I, assuming makes an ass out of you and me. There so you go. What, I, uh, what do you think? I agree. Um, okay. I also there's a, a big shift that will occur. Okay. So let's 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 just pretend that blockchain does get adopted. So we get that scalability. We have adoption, and this is all of that uh, risk is being run on the on, on on chain, right? Okay. Our regulators, pretty much, we're gonna have to replace all of them with brand new regulators. Why? Because we had we had guys that are used to ninety day, six month old data, to then be reactive, fairly slow moving. Right mm-hmm. now, you're going to be looking at regulators that could be proactive. Mm-hmm. So, I agree with him that we we may not have avoided it, but also all the months and, and years coming up to that point, we would have known what the risks are, right? Or we've had a lot more clarity in that risk. And and so to have a proactive re, uh, regulator would be a, a different type of, you know, I would just call it beast even, um, to look at that risk. It's funny you say this because um, this is now going on maybe almost a year. Uh, I wrote this thing that said uh, regulators are going to require that all um, 
they're going to they're going to mandate tokenized securities, right, or digitized securities. And the thought process was, uh, in the I think early '90s, they mandated that every company has to report through the Edgar system. Then in like mid 2000s they uh, mandated that everyone had to report their data using xml right format so that the machines could read it uh and so it wouldn't surprise me if what you're talking about in terms of the regulators now don't have to be reactive they can be proactive they can save a bunch of time money and resources from having to figure out what people did build cases enforce on them all this stuff if they just had the ability to switch from reactive to proactive and they understand that and the technology works I can't see a world where they don't say everyone has to use this technology so that we become better at our jobs, we have a fairer market, and oh, by the way, it's less bureaucratic of a process for all of you involved, right? Um, there's a lot of people who disagree with that, though. The, I, the only reason I would... Do you disagree? No, you can no, say I, you disagree. I, I hope you disagree. I agree with it, except... He's hedging. Yeah, because uh, I'm a derivative guy. What else am I supposed to do? Um, think about who are the guys that are supposed to make that change. They're basically saying, I am a bureaucrat, and now I am going to need to make that change. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a complete nightmare to them, to think of, I chose a, a position where I know that is more of a you know, methodical, slower moving, I'm going to get all that data, mm -hmm. and then react to it. Mm -hmm. And so to now think of it as, you almost have a risk management or trading aspect that you are, are looking at your regulator. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's it's a completely different type of, of individual, and so um, it depends on the reg regulator, right? So you know the time at, at consensus, and, and today I do a lot of what I would just call it evangelizing and mm -hmm. speaking to different regulators to educate. Mm -hmm. Right, um, I'm down in, in Puerto Rico, and I always, I always say this one that um, I had a two-hour conversation with the um, banking commissioner of Puerto Rico about sharding that was the area where uh, you know so you can just imagine some regulators are still not even sure what a blockchain is or you know looks like to someone that's already going into how is this scalability going to be reached mm -hmm. right so the more and more that we have regulators that are getting educated will be the first part mm -hmm. right and then we can get to that right mm -hmm. so I, I i would say that a brand new idea, a brand new technology, it's, it's just not even prudent, mm -hmm. right, for them to just completely jump in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I at, at Consensus, I I'd said this to Joe where, okay, we have this decentralized world over here, and we have all, let's say, just legacy, mm -hmm. right? And so instead of going here, we're going to do everything decentralized exchange trading, and we're going to have all of this where... Oh, we can transact and not know who you know another individual is. How about we just go? Let's get educators or just get the regulators and, and other incumbents one step over, mm -hmm. two steps over, right? And focus on that because then you can build upon it, right? And I, I think that that's that's really one part super fun to talk about at parties and and go. Here's a great POC. Yep. The other one is realistic of saying, yes, there is this society that I think will pull via like Ubers and Airbnb, yep. but you're going to have to also educate, mm -hmm. right? And, and I, and I uh, you know, I'll, I'll plug consensus of going like, I think they did a phenomenal job talking about, talking about that and educating a lot.
They definitely did a lot of educating, yeah. a lot of building, and uh, you cannot knock uh, the progress that they helped Ethereum as a protocol make, right? I think I think blockchain a, as well. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think that's controversial. Yeah. Um, what uh, what are you most scared of moving forward? What am I most scared of? Um, I'm known as this like. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency bull. So now uh, I wanted to start asking people like, what are, what are your deepest fears? Hmm. It's like intellectual fear factor. No cockroaches to eat, but uh, what are you scared of? He's looking deep. I'm looking out deep the in, window. Looking deep at the construction site. Going, you know, I don't really have a, a fear. No I, fear. You, I you I think this is a no-brainer for sure? Oh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I, and when I look at it, that side of it, absolutely. Um, I get, so I have a, a, a very high potential asset to make an investment in, right? And I get to track my validation points. So I think it's, you know, I mean, for one, it's a great risk reward type of scenario. So I don't, you know, I, I guess it, it's um, more of when you take emotion out of, of investments anyways. But uh, to to really go into this, it's it's just what's that risk reward? Mm-hmm. How do I make sure that I'm I validate if I continue the experiment and it works? I keep going, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Darn, I don't have any risk. I don't, no any fears. That's fine. Uh, before I finish up, I really want to hear what you think is the most important company in crypto, and you cannot say consensus <laughs> or dogma. <laughs> No, no Darmar consensus. All right. Well, I would say, though, that I honestly, <laughs> consensus has, has definitely built out a nice ecosystem. Um, I'm going to fire myself from the and, podcast. Nobody listens to me around here. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a different one just because I don't want to answer your question. Um, I think the most important one is the CFTC and the SEC. Okay. Why? Yeah, because we have a lot of different one that controls a lot of different capital mm-hmm. inflows, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're we, a gatekeeper to some degree, yeah. And so, the more and more that they're educated, the more and more that they are able to give clarity, right? Um, I think, you know, when I when when I look at like um, a simple blockchain, well, simple to do technically, but from a regulatory standpoint, and a complete nightmare mm-hmm. would be AML. Mm-hmm. Right. If if you go through and get you know KYC AML from you know Bank America and Goldman and HSBC, shouldn't that get to carry over to other other banks and other mm-hmm. different jurisdictions? Right. That type of um, loosening or organizational, I think, would be phenomenal. Right. So I, I really would say that if we did focus in on that the regulatory side. Be able to support them wherever possible. I think that's where you get the big shift. In you look point. at them as allies if they make the right decisions. Yeah, and and I think that I think they become allies. As I, I actually said, think they already are allies in yeah. the sense that they want to encourage innovation, the execution, like right, like the yeah. the blocking and tackling of how they do that is where uh, I think a lot of people are paying attention to. Yep, absolutely. You know, and and what's the one regulation you would change if you could? Or def- definitely AML. AML. Right? I, you I, think I would, that, I would that's the carry big... over. If we could carry over AML uh, like uh, attributes, right? So mm-hmm. if you have an identity, you got your your reputations and your, you know, attributes from other outsourced uh, sources. 
that would facilitate a lot of, uh, of different types of transactions. One, derivative space, simple. Um, but even when we start to now leave the banks, right, and mm -hmm. it becomes pension fund to hedge fund transacting or, you know, family office, being able to do that, I think, would really uh, be an enormous benefit to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. The, and, and, and it's something that's not very well understood, right, in terms of the people who don't deal with it every day. They don't even understand it's a problem. So right. They just look at it as a headache. Right. What's the most important book you've ever read? Uh, most important book? Uh, loyalty to your soul. What is that? Well, you know, we you got to keep along with the Dharma capital. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so from the other side of it is really being uh, grounded. So Loyal to Your Soul is a um, spiritual psychology uh, course that I went through mm -hmm. in, in you know, the, the fruits and nuts of California. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it really gave, gives a, a great Every basis. hippie in California just <laughs> exactly. rolled their eyes. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. All right. And uh, is it important at what point in your life you read that? Like some books are good and some books are they're good if you read it at the right time in your life and some books just suck yeah sooner the better sooner the better sooner okay. the better it's it's just because if you're on that path you're gonna love it and if you're not it's gonna make you go huh maybe i should look at that again and, right. and you'll remember you read it five years ago got it uh psychopath test uh -oh. how long do you dunk oreos in milk Whoa. oh yeah so uh, yeah just uh, very quick can't you can't be doing this whole thing of like are you like a, like a one two second guy or like, like a, a millisecond guy oh all right that, that that's actually that that's on the safe Coverage. side yeah you're fine um i'm more of like a six to eight seconds uh-huh uh but somebody came in and starts who, drooling down your chin and stuff oh no, oh no no you're, you're still good there you're still good there uh but there was somebody who came in that will not go named uh juan hernandez and uh <laughs> said that he puts oreos in a bowl of milk and lets it like basically just sit Ugh. and become soggy you grab a spoon or something yeah Ugh. and just and i looked at him and i almost <laughs> kicked him out of the room uh, I was like, that's <laughs> psychopath stuff um aliens real or not definitely real why I, how do you know did you meet one so that i don't know if i'll get to meet one but there i mean you, you just got again i'm a math guy so probabilities are we got a bunch of different planets out there they got life on it what do they look when like i was in high school i've said this many times when i was in high school there was nine I yeah. promise you they said there's nine planets. Pluto was one of them. There are now over a thousand planets exactly. that they found. I don't know what happened. I don't know if we got new telescopes. Right. Somehow we started listening to noise or something in space, but there are a thousand planets now. Exactly. So and it, the only thing that is bigger from nine to a thousand is Bitcoin and Ether's price appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> but like the planet appreciation number is right up there. Exactly. All right. So you think for real? Yeah. They're, they're real. For you, sure. Will we discover them in our lifetime? I, you know what? I bet we I bet we discover they exist. I don't get. I don't think we get to. High do you, five do you think that's a good thing? Absolutely. Why not? Somebody came on recently. You, you're asking uh, a guy from Dharma, so yeah, there is but, no good or bad. Well, here's why. So somebody said uh, <laughs> Christopher Columbus sounds really cool, except for if you were the Native Americans who met him. True. So like, could be a good. You know, the the new species could be good or bad. Um, so uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, what question do you have for me? 
and don't ask me to buy. <laughs> I, I, we just recorded Andrew, and for those of you, who, I don't know if Andrew's going to get posted first or not. Andrew asked me when I was going to buy Ether, so you can't ask me that. Perfect. So they're, they're on like a propaganda campaign and right. trying to get me to buy we're, Ether. We're, we're, you're, you, you will be a convert. Um, I, I, I'll give you a, an easy one, but I, I'm opinionated to it. All right. So why, if I can't do, I, I, I want to preference it this way. Um, why is Bitcoin a store of value? I knew. <laughs> I, I knew if he couldn't ask me about Ether, he was going to come at me about Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Bitcoin is the best store of value over the last decade. If you put $1 in, yeah. it stored the value okay. better than any other asset in the world. Okay. So if you were going to... So like, um, using this for um, Starbucks and, and things like that, right? Okay. So I'm going to go pay for my, my coffees. Do you look at Bitcoin as it makes sense to use that as a uh, form of payment? Uh, in today's form, no. Okay. Like if you look at gold, right, for example, gold was at one point used. It was just not very efficient. It kind of sucked. Uh, it was really hard to measure things, value them, transact with them, especially if you weren't standing right there with the person, etc. cetera. Uh, and then some genius had the idea, why don't we just create paper that represents the gold and we can use that. Uh, I do not believe that we will get like uh, a another form of currency backed by Bitcoin. What I think we'll get is... Um, a lot more scaling technologies very similar to Ether and Ethereum um, that will allow you to transact, but you will do the transactions um, in a way where you're basically using such highly divisible amounts of Bitcoin that it looks very different than today, right? So right now, if I said to you, hey, will you send me some Bitcoin? Most people would think of it in terms of how many Bitcoin do you want, right? So do you want one, do you want five, do you want 10, whatever. Uh, I think we will get to a world where I say, hey, can you send me some Satoshis? And that will have similar value, but it will be such a highly divisible amount of Bitcoin that one Bitcoin will be like you and I talking about, you know, a bar of gold, right? People don't talk about that way. They talk about it in ounces, right? So I think very similar. Uh, the other thing that I will say is uh, I'm not necessarily like a, I'm not a, like a hyper Bitcoinization, right? Where like everything is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the only currency in the world, like all the stuff. I think there's a higher probability of us getting close to that than people give it credit for. But I don't necessarily think that's like a 90% probability. I look at it as uh, Bitcoin's first step was to survive. Its second step was to exist. I think it's kind of where we are now. It exists. It's not going anywhere. I don't think anyone thinks it's you know, going to zero tomorrow. Uh, the third step is to be an alternative option. And then the fourth step would be to be the option, right? And kind of be the, the dominant one. Um, the transition from existing to being an alternative option uh, is a pretty big leap. Some of it's technical, some of it's psychological, some of it's regulatory. Um, but I think that uh, that's like the next thing we got to kind of the next hurdle to jump over um and i actually think people are underestimating how hard that is right because when you're in the survival mindset and you get to existence uh mode then there's like a sense of relief like oh we're not no longer trying to just survive like now we exist now it's real the problem is that like you just jumped over a hill now there's a mountain in front of you right and so like now here comes like a much harder challenge um and so we'll see if uh, if we can do it or not
maybe I'll buy some ether at some point. Well, see. but I was gonna, I was gonna ask. So you wrote down on your paper, you know, buy ether. So <laughs> yeah, I don't... no, I did not. <laughs> Listen, if you guys have ever heard the terminology fake news, <laughs> I, I, I've got two perfect examples. They're both sitting in the room right now. All right, listen, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, if I buy ether, I will let everyone know. But so far, zero ether. Um, I, I appreciate you guys trying to convince me. Uh, but the Bitcoin, days are ticking off. But Bitcoin is still the king and will remain the king, and Ether can be the prince. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, look, this is a ton of fun. We'll have to uh, do this again, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time to do it. Cool. Thank you. It was fun. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.